morning. Boy, they're still rustling, huh? There we go. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Crossbridge. And most importantly, welcome to God's house, because that's who it is. So, uh, say it every week. We're not uh, performing, we're worshiping. So, uh, man, my guitar's that tune. Hang on. There we go. Sorry. Uh, we're going to do a uh, open with a song. And uh, praise the Lord. Have you been to Jesus? So uh, it's a good day to be in the Lord's house today, and so lift up our pastor and his family. They're on vacation, so you're going to put up with me the next two weeks, and I'm grateful they're able to get away for some time they really need. And so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll have our meeting time. Uh, Father, we just praise you for everything that's already happened in this building this morning, God. We thank you for the classes, Lord, where we're able to talk about your word and talk about where we, we're living it and where we're failing in it, but, but also, God, where we're growing in it. 
And it's grateful, God, for everything that you're doing out of this building with your people here in Marshfield, Missouri, and in Springfield, and around the world, God, to the things that we're plugged into to advance your kingdom. So let's pray, God, that you'd be with our pastor and his family, and, and uh, also Pastor Jim Jones and his wife. And I just pray, God, that, that uh, they would be safe, that, uh, God, you'd get them there uh, where they're going safely, and you'd give them a, a great time to be able to rest and, uh, and bring them back here safely, God, and, and well-rested. And I know that they'll be eager to, to, to get back after it. So we'll praise you, and we thank you, and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
Go through the announcements. 
Uh, Tammy wanted to say thank you to Robbie, Travis, and Zach, and Paul for helping her with that event yesterday. And we have a lot of announcements here. Um, so if you're a visitor this morning, we ask you, uh, there should be a visitor card uh, in front of you. Uh, we ask you to fill that out um, uh, so we can contact you, and, and uh, we want you to get plugged in here. It's a great church to be plugged into. Uh, also, uh, uh, Freeway Ministries uh, is here every Saturday night at 5.30. This is our outreach. This is our evangelism where we go out in the community of Marshfield and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So dinner's at 5.30 and the service is at 6. Uh, Wednesday night services, uh, meals at 6 p.m. Uh, adult Bible study is in here at 6.45. We've been working through David Jeremiah and uh, the uh, powerful principles of Proverbs. Uh, kids or youth, the same time, 6.45 and then Sunday night men's Bible study uh, tonight. It will be tonight at 6 o'clock. Is that right, Denny? Yes. Uh, you moved on me. Oh, okay, there you go. Yes. Tonight at 6 o'clock. And then also, too, uh, we have a shower trailer ministry that's um, in Springfield every Tuesday. I know it's, a, it's an odd day to do it in the middle of the week, but if you are free, uh, several of our church members have been coming, and they've been a blessing to me, but they've been a blessing to a whole lot of homeless people in Springfield, Missouri. And this is uh, where we go out and, and we bring people to uh, Freeway Headquarters and uh, we obviously we give them a, a shower and a change of clothes and, and we feed them. But the most important thing that we do throughout the whole process is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so last week uh, we had a person that uh, made their profession in Christ and, and we got them directly plugged in. But we're seeing a lot of fruit from that ministry. And, and the fruit is whether we see anybody, um, whether we see anybody, uh, repent and believe on Jesus Christ, the fruit of it is, is us going out and doing what God's called each one of us to do. So if you're able uh, to be there uh, Tuesday, it's uh, 9.30 is when we have a meeting, and it goes from 10 until like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And then women's breakfast and coffee is Friday, 8.30 a.m. at Prickly Cactus. And then the Defiant Joy Women's Retreat, it is August 24th. Uh, through 26, so it's Thursday through Saturday. It's in Branson, Missouri. Uh, it's for the Crossbridge ladies, and there is one more spot, uh, and it's $145 per person. So if you have any questions or concerns about that, see Valerie Matthews for, for more information. Uh, also, there's a women's swim party uh, July 30th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the man's house. Uh, it's 18 years old and up. Uh, bring a snack and share, and uh, I'm going to send this around. Oops. Send that around if you want to sign up. And then a uh, young adult float trip is Saturday, July 29th. Uh, leaving here at Crossbridge at 7 a.m. It's $10 a person. See uh, Dustin and Rachel Curley for more information if you're interested in that. Uh, Women's Freeway Ministries, uh, we're needing a van. Um, yeah, if you've got a van you want to donate to it, please holler at us. Uh, we're actually going to go present. Uh, Jeff called me. We're going to go present at Pastor Jim Jones's church and see if uh, they might come alongside us and help us with some needs that we have for that women's house. It's coming here pretty quick, ladies and gentlemen. We're getting ready to get into it, which is good. Uh, also, too, is if you know anybody that, uh, that could be handicapped or anything, we do have a chairlift that's installed outside. It does operate, and uh, so please let them know that... Uh, we have that. A youth retreat is August 2nd through the 4th 
If you're interested in that, see Joel and Shelly Jones for more information. And then uh, we have a Crossbridge pool party Sunday, August 27th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Marshfield City Pool. And I'm assuming anybody from Crossbridge can attend that. I got everything? Fishing tournament. Yeah, I'm glad I asked. Uh, when is that, Leslie? Amen. Everybody get that? So next Saturday at what time? 9 a.m. Fishing tournament. Anybody else? Okay. Oh, yes, ma'am. Sorry, sorry. Love you too, Stephanie. Uh, anybody else? Amen. Church doing what it's supposed to be doing. Well, let me uh, let me uh, pray for us and pray for our offering. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask you, God, to use everything, Lord, that uh, that we give you. Uh, we ask you, God, to use it for your purposes, for your plans, to advance your kingdom. And I just pray, God, that you'd help uh, help us all be good stewards with everything that you've given us, God. So we ask you, God, just to to, to please, Lord. Uh, bless this offering and uh, and bless today, and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. same song that everybody knows because he lives just with different music so here we go
different, huh? Go ahead, Mike. Uh, I'm going to try. Uh, everyone, if you want to, you can have a seat. And uh, so I don't know if you uh, were here a few weeks ago, but I preached on uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. And, uh, and I preached on about running our race. And uh, so we're going to be in Hebrews 12, 4 through 11 today. Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. And the title of this message is, is if you're in the race, if you're in the race of faith, uh, you're going to receive discipline from God. And so when we talk about race, is the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you entered into this race. And this race will end when you go home to be with Jesus forever. When you receive your glorified body, when you're totally and completely like Him, that's the end of the race. So, so if you're a believer, you're, you're between salvation and you're between glorification. You're somewhere in here. And so uh, this is what we're going to be talking about today. So Hebrews 4, Hebrews 12, uh, verse 4. Hebrews 12, verse 4. If everybody's there, say amen. amen. All right. Uh, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me pray. God, I just pray, God, that you'd open up your word to us today, God. And I pray, God, that uh, you would get in all of our business this morning, Lord. And I just pray to God that uh, you would help us understand that, that uh, who we are in you and what you expect from us. And when, and when you're not getting the desired result, uh, what we can expect from you. And we're just glad, Lord, that you love us that much. You, you care for us that much, Lord, that, uh, that your greatest good for us would, would to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And you're not going to let us get away from that. So be with us today, God, and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So God has already told us in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, he says, Let us run the race, or let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So the point is, if we choose to look away from Christ, which is the end goal of our race, we won't finish our race well. And, and what we want to do is we want to stand before the Lord one day and, and not hold our head down in shame. We want to make sure that we stand before the Lord in an accepted manner and know that we did everything that we could to accomplish the mission, to finish our race well and become more like Jesus Christ. And so this is exactly what happened to this church that this letter was written to. They had started taking their eyes off of Christ and they started focusing on the problems they had. And it's easy to do, amen? So when these Christians, they first came to Christ, they had peace for the very first time in their life because they received the forgiveness that they needed from God, and they had joy, right? They were, they were happy, they were getting after it. But when they started experiencing problems, when they started experiencing real problems, not problems that many of us face today, but real problems because of their faith in Jesus Christ, what happened was, is all those problems weighed them down and their peace and their joy left them. It left them just as fast as it came in. Now, we need to remember, right, these Christians, they were losing lifelong friendships for their faith in Christ. These Christians, uh, they, were, they were not allowed to go to the synagogue that they grew up in and to worship God anymore because of their faith in Christ. These Christians were losing their livelihoods. They couldn't, they couldn't provide for themselves. They couldn't provide for their families because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to understand this morning, because we have faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't shield us. It doesn't shield us from receiving bad news or getting sick or losing people that we love or death or you fill in the blank. And so as a result of these problems happening to these Christians at this time, some of them were getting distracted, some of them were stumbling, and some of them were just flat out quitting altogether. And I will tell you this, the Bible speaks directly about the ones that, that do quit their race. The ones that quit were never a part of God's kingdom in the first place. 
Jesus says, those who endure to the end shall be saved. And, and, and Paul says, from faith to faith to faith. It means the person comes into, uh, starts by faith, they live by faith, and they end their life in faith in Jesus Christ. And so, for these people that were reading this at this time thousands of years ago, you know, when they became a Christian, it started great. And they're like a lot of people that I've ran into in the last nine and a half years I've been in ministry. Uh, right? When they started their walk with the Lord, things was great. But what they say is, is I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this. I had problems before I came to Christ. But now I've really got a whole bunch more problems. They say, uh, thank you, Jesus, for the offer of an abundant life. But no thank you. I have enough problems already. And so the writer of Hebrews, he's reminding these Christians that life really wasn't as bad as what they thought it was. They're looking at their situation, and those things I just named off are, were very true, and, and uh, none of us have had to worry about where, that we're not going to be able to provide a meal for our, ourselves or our wives or our families or our kids because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But this is what's exactly what was going on with these people. And the writer's reminding them, saying, hey, I know things are bad, but they're not as bad as you think they are. And he says that in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So things are not, as, not that bad. You're still alive. And we know that Jesus struggled against the temptation to choose some other way. right? He prayed, he prayed to God in the garden. He said, he said, if there's any other way that I can secure the salvation, please let it happen. But not my will, yours. And so he struggled against that temptation. But what did he do? He went to the cross. He shed his blood on the cross. He died on the cross. He accomplished God's plan for salvation for each one of us in here today. And he finished his race that God had set out before him. And if you read your Bible, I mean, I know many of you do, you know a lot of people in, in the Bible paid huge prices for their faith. Abel died for his faith. The three guys that got, uh, the three Hebrew guys, I'm not going to try to pronounce their names, but they were thrown into a fiery furnace. For what? For their faith. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den for his faith. John the Baptist was thrown into prison for speaking the truth, and he was later beheaded because of his faith. Peter was crucified upside down because of his faith. Stephen was stoned to death because of his faith. Paul was beaten, thrown into, into prison several times, and later beheaded for his faith. And then John, uh, John, they tried to kill John, and when that didn't work, they exiled him to an island because of his faith. Listen, this is why I want us to grasp this morning. None of us, none of us in this room have paid the price of what these people paid for their faith. None of us. In fact, I will say this, none of us in this room has shed our blood for our faith. None of us are even going to have to think about some of these things that they had to go through for their faith. They paid the ultimate price for their faith. They gave their lives. They gave their lives. And so listen, myself and you, if you're a Christian, we should be ashamed if we stumble or faint as we're running our race for anything less than what I just listed off what these men and women gave in their lives for their faith. We should be ashamed. Yes, your life might be hard this morning. Your life may be really bad this morning. You might be going through things that I can't even imagine. But listen to me. But God is saying to each one of us this morning, 
your life is not as bad as you think it is. I don't see any dead bodies laying around because of your faith. Amen? So we need to remember that Jesus said that we will have tribulation because we belong to him. We need to remember that James said we're, we're going to experience trials of various kinds. Not one trial, but many trials, and they're all going to be different. Peter said, why are you surprised to find yourself in the fire trial you're in? You're a Christian. You was promised this. This is what you signed up for. Don't be surprised. And then Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the sufferings produces endurance. What is that endurance for? That endurance, the suffering that's brought into our life, is to give us the endurance we need to finish our race. Look, God promises if you're a Christian, God promised each one of us that we're going to have tribulation and trials and suffering. And our passage says this morning that we will receive discipline. We're going to receive discipline into our life by God, directly hand-given by Him into our lives. God uses all these things, every single one of them, to help us become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, I hear uh, Philippians 4.13 is a misquoted verse. I hear other verses that are misquoted. But Romans 8.28 and 29 are probably the most misunderstood verses that I've heard people um, because it's not given in the right context. And so Romans 8.28 and 29 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Listen, church, God did not save you and me to give us a life of ease and comfort. God doesn't care about how big my house is going to get. He doesn't care about how much money I make. And he does not care about how much money I have put back for my retirement. He does not care about those things. God didn't save us to give us those things. So you want to know why God saved you. This is it. God saved you to become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you do that in your daily life, you accomplish your purpose that God's given you. And when you accomplish your purpose God's given to you, you bring glory to His name and you bring other people that's not in the flock, you bring them closer to Jesus. You want to know why you're breathing God's air today? It's to become like Jesus and bring glory to Him. That's it. God's not telling us that tribulation and trials and suffering and difficulties and problems and hardships. He's not telling us that these things feel good. He's not even saying that they are good. He says, he says that he uses these things for our good. And that good is to make us more like Jesus Christ. That is God's greatest desire for you and me. That's it. It's not about how easy life can get for us. And then verse 11 says, God disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. God doesn't care about these temporal things. He cares about our holiness and how much we look like Jesus Christ. Right? Not a life of ease and comfort. Remember, we are not in heaven yet. Right? The days of paradise are over when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Those days are over. And we're not going to get those days back until we go home to be with Him or He comes back. Amen? So we need to quit living like this is heaven. It's not. It's not intended to be heaven. Heaven, we'll know when we get there. I promise you that. And you won't be regretting it when you do. 
So our passage mentions the word discipline nine times and the word son six times. Now, they have two different meanings, but, but what it really means is, is, is God's sons, God's children, is one on one side of the coin, and on the other side of that coin is discipline. All God's children receive discipline. And so when you hear, hear the word discipline, it means to correct like it does in our passage, but it also means to instruct, it means to teach, it can mean to punish. And Job 5.17 says this, Therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. So where's the chastening coming from? God. He says in uh, Psalms 112, 75, he says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you, God, you, God, have afflicted me. Proverbs 3, 12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he what? He corrects. Verse 5 of our passage says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So we need to understand this this morning, that if you belong to God, you're going to receive discipline from Him. Amen? All right. It's a fact of life if we belong to Him. So now, when this discipline comes into our lives, there's only three options we have, how we're going to respond to it. There's three options. So one of, three, one of these three things, when God gives you discipline, this is one of the three things that you're going to, how you're going to respond. The first thing, when discipline comes into your life, you might refuse to think about it. In other words, what I'm saying is, is you'll never ask the question is, is why did this discipline come into my life? You don't, you don't stop. You don't slow down. You never ask that question. You don't say, what does this discipline mean in my life? Or, or um, why, why is it happening? And so what you end up doing is you make light of it. You blow it off or you act like it never happened. And I want to tell you this morning, the very first question that we need to ask whenever any kind of trouble comes into our life, the very first question we need to ask is, is did I invite this into my life because I'm living contrary to what God tells me to live? That's the very first question we should always ask. Now, the answer is not always going to be that, but that is the first question that we should always ask. And so they don't think of it, all right? You don't think of it like God's trying to protect you from something or it's a result of some sin. All right, this person, they just keep on going, and they don't even reflect back on it. The second thing that can happen when discipline comes into your life is you will allow yourself to be overtaken by it. You'll become paralyzed by it. You'll stumble by it. Uh, and so instead of acting like the discipline didn't happen at all, right, you stop in your tracks, and you're overtaken by it, and you don't move. And so the person, right, picture this. The person's running the race. Discipline comes into their life. They become weary. They fall, they collapse, they don't finish the race well. That's what it looks like. And then the third thing is, this is where we want to be, ladies and gentlemen. The third thing that can happen when you experience discipline is, is you embrace it. You embrace it. Right? From this day on out, you remember these verses in Romans 8, 28 and 29. Discipline comes into your life, you embrace it, you don't act like it didn't happen, and you don't allow yourself to be overwhelmed by it. What you do is say, okay, God is good. God's greatest goal for me is to make me more like Jesus Christ. God is allowing this into my life to make me more like Jesus. I'm going to keep running. I'm going to get after it. And this is who we want to be, church. This is who we want to be as we're running our race. So all of us need to understand we're going to be disciplined by God if we belong to Him. So when discipline comes, and it's coming, it's coming. We can't make light of it. We can't become paralyzed by it. 
And if we do either one of those, option one or option two, what we're actually doing is we're turning our back on the evidence that God loves us and that we belong to him, that we're a member of his family. Look at verse 6. It says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. So if we don't respond well to the discipline, if we act like it didn't happen or we, we allow ourselves to be paralyzed by it, what we're actually doing is we're turning, the, we're turning our back on the evidence that he loves us and that we belong to him. The beautiful thing about discipline is, is we know that if we're receiving discipline from, from God for any reason at all, we know that we belong to him. Amen? That's good stuff, right? That's called assurance. We want that. So listen. You're going to experience discipline, and I want you to know that it's not wasted. It's not wasted. God doesn't leave any, any, any of it all to waste. He uses every bit of discipline that comes into our life to mold us and shape us and help us become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. He allows this discipline to come into our life so our relationship towards Him will deepen. It'll grow. And He allows this discipline to come into our life so we'll be more dependent on Him. Right? We'll rely on him more. This is what he wants. This is what he desires. This is what he demands. He is the one true God, the creator God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all Israel. He's the everlasting one. He demands to be worshipped. Listen, these verses this morning, when you hear the word discipline so much, you, know, you don't really think of it like, this is, these are encouraging verses. But if I had a chalkboard right here, and I wrote it out, it would be like, God's discipline equals God's love towards me, and I belong, to his I belong in his family. I'm a member of his family. That should be encouraging for all of us this morning. All right? None of us would be, I mean, let's be honest, discipline, I'm glad I didn't say that. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Nobody likes discipline. But listen to me this morning. We would not grow spiritually if God gave us whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, and gave us everything that we did want. We, right? we wouldn't become more like Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Him would not grow and deepen. And we certainly, right, our, our dependence on Him would be non-existent. Right? We already have a big enough problem is, is we get up in the mornings and we want to make ourselves our own gods and make our own decisions based according to our wills and not His. And so He uses these things. Discipline is the tool that God uses to help us grow spiritually. God says, yeah, I saved you. And yeah, my son's not, uh, you're not home with my son yet. I haven't made you uh, perfect like him yet. And yes, you're in here somewhere, but I expect you to be going this way. I expect you to be living for me every day, and you become more like Jesus Christ. And this is what I'm going to use to get the job done. The things that I'm speaking into your life and telling you to get rid of, and you say, I'm not going to get rid of those, I'm going to get rid of them for you. Brother Ace shared a story this morning in our uh, Sunday school, in our discipleship class, and, uh, and God used discipline into his life. To bring, and I asked him, I said, be honest with me, that discipline that God brought into your life, are you closer with Jesus today than you were before the discipline happened? And he said, yes. That's what it's supposed to do. That's what it's supposed to do. So God's discipline takes three different forms, uh, corrective, preventive, and you could say, uh, 
uh, teaching, or you could say educational discipline. We're only going to get through, through two today, so you're okay. Hold on. So corrective discipline. So God uses corrective discipline to get us back on track. And basically, you've heard me say before, this is when God takes us to the woodshed. Right? We're not living right, we're not doing right, and God says, I told you to get that out of your life, and we say, I'm not going to do it, and God says, okay, come on with me, and I'm, I'm going to give you a spanking. This is what it is. And so David writes, King David is a good example of this. So Scripture tells us when David should have been out leading his army, right? he was back in his, uh, he was back in his palace taking it easy. And we know the story. right? As the story goes, he lusted after a married woman. He committed adultery with her. He got her pregnant. Then he, he brought the husband back from, uh, from the war that he should have been fighting. He tried to cover it up. He tried to get the husband to sleep, sleep with his wife so he wouldn't know about the adultery. When that didn't work, he had, the, uh, he had the husband killed. He had him killed. Then he marries the woman, and he claims the son that was born from the adultery as his own. So now this is a man after God's own heart. Right, that's what God said about David before he was, as he was, um, uh, before he was anointed king. And then here we see him. Right, he's 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 off in a train wreck. And so the discipline that God used to get David back on track, it took two different forms. And the first one is spiritual. Uh, so it took spiritual. So God brought spiritual discipline uh, into David's life. And if you read Psalms thirty-two, three through four. This is, David him, this is David himself saying this. This is David saying this as he was living in sin. He's reflecting back uh, in the time that he was living in sin. He wouldn't get rid of the sin, and this is what he says. He says, when I kept silent, in other words, when I kept sin in my life, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And you know what this is a picture of? This is a picture of a man with sin in his life that he was not willing to let go. He wasn't willing to let go. And this is a picture of a man that has lost his close fellowship with God. Right? The beautiful thing about this is, is God didn't throw him away. God didn't say, well, you're no longer a member of my family. God doesn't do that. Once you belong to him, you will always belong to him. So it comes down to a fellowship issue. David once walked with God really close. He was living for him. And then now he's separated from God and he's living for himself. And because of the weight of his sin, we can hear what he's saying physically. is going through his life. He says, my vitality's dried up. He says, I'm groaning all the day long. He could feel God's heavy hand upon him because he wouldn't confess it and turn away from it. He wouldn't repent from it. And Psalm 66, 18 says this. Also, too, is I'll add another note. If you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, and you've had sin in your life that you wasn't willing to let go, you know exactly how these verses feel. Amen? You ever felt God's heavy hand upon you because you wasn't willing to do what He's told you to do, to confess and forsake? If you belong to Him and you've lived in sin, you know exactly how it feels. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah, Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from God, from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. 
So it's a fellowship issue. David was refusing to do what he should have known he should have done, and that's confess and repent. He's living in sin. He's paying the price spiritually. He could feel God's heavy hand upon him. And then also, then God gives him physical discipline. Physical discipline. So one of the first things God told David, he said, he said, your son that's getting ready to be born from your adultery, I'm going to take your son. And God did. His son died. The second discipline God told David, he said that the sword would never depart from his house. So what happened was, is David's son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. And so another son of David, Absalom, Absalom, Absalom goes and murders Amnon. So this is fulfilled. And then God said, another discipline I'm going to give you is I will rise up evil against you out of your own house. So Absalom, what he does is he actually stages a rebellion. He stages a coup, and he tries to overthrow David from his throne. And then God told David, he says, I'm going to take your wives before your eyes, and I'm going to give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. And Absalom fulfilled this prophecy in the sight of all Israel. We know it from Scripture. And then on top of that, Absalom, the guy that was uh, his son that was trying to overthrow him from uh, his throne, uh, died. And so all these things were, were God's discipline that God brought into his life because David wasn't willing to confess and forsake the sin that he had in his life. And I'll also tell you too is, if you read uh, 2 Samuel, you'll also know that 20, at least 20,000 people died due to that rebellion. And so, in other words, David's sin not only affected him and his family, but it also affected 20,000 other people. So ladies and gentlemen, don't say, don't walk out of here today and say that your sin doesn't affect the people around you. It does. Don't say that your sin doesn't affect your relationship with God. It does. And all we got to do is look at David's life and see that. Now, the thing is, get this under your hat this morning. None of this discipline would have came into David's life if he would not have sinned against God. All this tragedy, all this discipline, all these consequences would have never came into his life if he would just continue living for God. If he would have confessed his sin, he would have repented from his sin, but he chose not to do that. And so the good news is, we can, from our passage in Scripture is, the good news is that because God disciplined David was the sign and the evidence that David was a member of his family and that God loved him. God loved David so much that he wasn't going to leave him to himself. He said, you're disrespecting my name. You're blaspheming my name before the very people that you're supposed to be witnessing to for me. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you do that, David. And so God didn't leave him to himself. And he will not leave you to yourself either, Christian. If you're living in sin and you know you need to get rid of it, and you are choosing not to, he will get the desired result he demands. He will get it out of your life. Easy or hard. So, so Psalms 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. 
So God brought all these things, this discipline into David's life so David would get back on course and start obeying God's word. And he'll do that with each one of us in here this morning if you belong to him. So he used this discipline to get David back on track. Now when David, when David's confronted, confronted by his sin, right, he, he, the first thing he does is he confesses his sin. He turns away from his sin. And the next thing he does is he accepts God's discipline. He accepts it. He accepts it. He got back on course. And what do we know from Scripture is, is David finished his race. David finished his race. So, another example of uh, God's corrective discipline is found in 1 Corinthians 11. So, so when we come together for the Lord's Supper, which we do once a month, there's four things that we're supposed to be remembering. Four things that we're supposed to be remembering when we take the Lord's Supper. The first thing we're supposed to be remembering is, is Jesus Christ was born physically in this world. The second thing that we're supposed to be remembering is Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. The third thing is that he was resurrected. And the fourth thing is, is he's coming back. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32... The Corinthian church, they were using the Lord's Supper as a social gathering. What I mean was, is they were getting together uh, for a social gathering to fill their belly, and they were getting drunk as they're performing this ceremony. And, and so what, when they did that, and, and here's the thing is, we always say examine yourselves before you do that uh, every time we do the Lord's Supper because we want to make sure that you're not doing this. Because any time that we... Uh, anytime that we do anything like this, anytime we have sin in our life or, or like them, like they're using this as an opportunity to, to get together and get drunk and, and eat, they were dishonor, dishonoring the ceremony. In other words, they were making light of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on their behalf. They're saying that the blood he shed wasn't really a big deal. They're saying that the sacrifice he made didn't really cost him too much. They're making light of it. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32, here's the, here it is. It says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner drinks judgment, drinks discipline on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged or we would not be disciplined. So this passage is telling us that if they would have obeyed God, if they would have, if they would have uh, did the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, right, this discipline would have never came into their lives. So what does God do? Right? In this passage, we can see that God used weakness, illness, and death to what? To drive his people back to righteous behavior. Just like he did with David, just like he did here. So make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, don't walk out here today and think that God doesn't know what you're doing behind the scenes. He knows everything that you're doing behind the scenes. And listen, He will discipline you and me if we get off course, if we're off track, and, and we're, not, we're, not be, we're not getting the result. He's not getting the result of us becoming more like Christ. He, he's going to get it. He's going he's to give us the discipline that we need to get us back. He's going to get us back to, to, or to be doing righteous behavior. So this discipline in both, in both instances would have never happened if they wouldn't have been living in sin. 
Now maybe, uh, right, you're living in sin today. And this is God's way of telling you that you can get this sin out of your life. You can confess it, forsake it, receive the discipline that you've already received, get back up and go back at it and get back on course without God having to do something greater. So that's corrective discipline. And then we've got pre- preventive discipline. Preventive. So 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh to keep me from being conceited. So if you, look, if you read through the book of Acts, Paul had visions that no one else had. If you read Galatians and Ephesians, uh, you'll see that, that Paul had uh, revelations from Jesus Christ himself that no one else had. And, and also, um, you'll see if you read the Bible, it says that he was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught up to paradise. He's seen things that nobody else seen, and he heard things that nobody else heard because they were meant for him, and they were meant for him only. Now, what did God do? God gave him these special revelations that nobody else had ever seen or witnessed. What did God do? Because he allowed him to see, uh, see things that nobody else had. Well, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Who gave him the thorn? God gave him the thorn in the flesh. God gave him this discipline. Why? He tells us, he says, to help him uh, from becoming prideful, arrogant, and conceited. So the thorn that God gave Paul was to keep him humble because, again, because he had seen and witnessed things that nobody else on earth had ever had. 2 Corinthians 12, 8, Paul said, Paul says, or says that Paul pleaded with God three times that he would take it away. Now, when you hear the, hear the word pleaded, Paul begged God three times to take away whatever that thorn in his flesh was, God, or Paul was begging him to take it away from him. But later, Paul thanks God for the thorn because he realized how the thorn protected him. Preventive discipline. So it's clear that the discipline that we receive from God is a sign or evidence that he loves us and that we belong to him. It's also clear that discipline that we give to our children is the evidence that we love them and, and they belong to us. Right, when my son Parker came to live with me for the first time after uh, you know, I got saved and got my life together, me and Kim just got married, and we said, here's the rules. This is what you have to obey. And whenever Parker, he bucked. I mean, he might be listening. I don't know. But, uh, but he bucked us. And when he bucked us, right, he received discipline. And when he received that discipline, that was a sign that we loved Parker and that he was a member of our family. And that is exactly the same thing when God disciplines us, ladies and gentlemen. When God disciplines us. So then verse 9 says, Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So the idea is this, is, is my dad, my real dad, my, my physical dad, my earthly dad, right? I, I obeyed him, and, and, uh, and, and when I obeyed him, it brought good things. And so the idea of this verse is, is, is how much more, how many more good things if we will submit to the discipline of God the Father, our good God, our faithful God, our one true God, how many more good things will come from that? And then it says in verse 10, it says, for they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So we just did a whole circle, right? 
God's desire after he saves us is to become, help us become more like Jesus Christ. To help us become more holy tomorrow than we were today. That's the goal. Now listen. Every earthly father has handed out imperfect discipline. What I'm saying is, is when Parker came to live with us, sometimes my discipline uh, towards him was too severe. Uh, sometimes um, my discipline towards him was too lax. And sometimes, you know, my son Parker got it because, you know, for whatever reason. You know, I just had a bad day or whatever. And so that, that's imperfect discipline. All right? If you're a father, you know that we learn by doing. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately we learn what not to do because we did something. But, 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 but the beautiful thing about this is this. But God never makes these kind of mistakes. Maybe you grew up with a father who was a horrible father. But I want you to understand is God doesn't make those kind of mistakes. Is God good? Can we trust Him? Absolutely. He never makes those mistakes. He doesn't learn anything. He already knows everything. And it says there is no evil in Him. There is no lying in Him. There is, there, there is no temptation in Him. Right? He is good. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. In other words, we can always count on God to do what is right. We can count on Him. None of God's discipline towards you or me has ever been misplaced. He's never handed out imperfect discipline like we have as mothers or fathers. He's good. He's good. So remember, God uses all discipline for one reason, to make his people like him. So let me drive this home. Le Leviticus 19.2, God says to Moses, You shall be holy, for I, Lord your God, am holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 Peter says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 2 Peter 1, 4 Peter says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What's the divine nature? His holiness. His holiness. So God uses discipline so we will partake in His nature. So that we become more like Him. And then verse 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen? It does. Let's be honest. Discipline hurts. It's not pleasant. It definitely is painful. If we could go back and we could talk to David today, if we could talk to the Corinthian church, if we could ask Paul... You know, we could ask any of them and say, hey, did that discipline that God gave you, did it feel good? They're going to say, no. Was it pleasant? No. Was it painful? Yes. Yes, all of them would say that. But here's the beautiful thing about it. The great news about this verse is that God's discipline only seems painful for a moment, for a season. It doesn't last forever. Now, here's the thing. It might seem like it does last forever. It might seem when you're in it that it does last forever. And it probably does when you're going through it, but it really doesn't. It really doesn't. And so this morning, maybe you came in here and God's working on you. And, and you're being disciplined right now. Maybe you've invited the discipline in your life. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't. But now you're in the most painful part of it. And you're hanging on. You're hanging on by a thread. 
You're wondering to yourself, am I going to be able to complete the race that I'm in? These problems and hardships and difficulties I have in my life, I don't know if I can make it another day. And I want to encourage you this morning is hold on. Stand fast, brother or sister. God will never give you more than what you can handle. Relief is right around the corner. Right around the corner. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God is faithful. Is he faithful? Is he faithful? Yes. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will never allow us to be tempted. He'll never allow us to, to give us more than what we can handle. Relief is right around the corner. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't stumble. Don't faint. Look at the purpose of the discipline and embrace it. Look at verse, uh, the rest of verse 11. It says, Discipline, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So this verse is telling us that those who endure God's discipline while running their race, they're going to receive the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is what we want. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is a, uh, this is a picture this is a picture of a believer becoming more like Jesus Christ in their daily life. Tomorrow they, look like, they more look like Jesus than they do than they did the day before. They're accomplishing their purpose of life. And this is a picture of Isaiah 32.17 which says, The effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. This is what we want, right? It doesn't matter if the world's burned down around us or not. We can have peace. This is what we desire. Not just quietness of soul. Not just quietness of soul, but wholeness of person. Wholeness of person. I'll give you an example. This is the believer that lives their day for the Lord to the best of their ability at the end of the day, they look back at their life uh, throughout that day, their interactions, everything they did, everything they said, their thoughts, their desires, and all these things. And through that process, they see where they fell short and where they honored God. And then, and then the things where they fell short, they confess them, and, and they ask God, please help me not do this or that again or whatever. They receive the forgiveness they need, and they're looking back at their day, and they're reflecting back, and they're saying, I did everything today that I could do in my own power and my own strength to live for Jesus. And I pleased my Father. And the areas that I didn't please my Father, I confessed and He forgave me. And tomorrow, I get another, I need to get another go of it. If I wake up tomorrow and my eyes open and I'm breathing God's air, I get another shot at accomplishing my purpose, and that is to become more like Jesus. So think about this. You leave out here today. Uh, Ace, you can come on up if you want. What greater honor could God give to us as believers than making us more like His Son, Jesus Christ, which is perfect. Jesus was perfect in every way. What greater honor could He give us? So listen, when we walk out here today, I want you to understand this. 
God's not going to let you get away with it. He's not going to let you get away with it. So if you belong to him and you're being disciplined and you're in that painful time, listen, that is the evidence that he loves you and that you belong to him. <laughs> Amen. So, so application. So when you walk out of here today, this is the things that we need to take under our belt and do. So in other words, how can we finish our race well? How can we finish our race well? How can we accomplish our purpose in life? So when discipline comes in your life, don't make light of it and don't become paralyzed by it. Embrace Romans 28 and 29 and know that God's purpose for that discipline, for whatever reason it came in your life, is to mold you and shape you and make you more like Jesus. Embrace it. And also, too, when you're in the most painful part of that discipline that you know that's been handed down by God, I want you to be encouraged today, ladies and gentlemen, because that is the assurance that He loves you and that you belong to Him. And that's why we can stand and have peace in a world that's going dark. Because no matter what, nobody's ever going to take that away from us. We're His. And one day we won't have to worry about any of this stuff anymore. One day we'll be made like Him. One day we won't have suffering and pain and tears and sin and evil. One day we will be with Him in a perfect place. One day. And also, to get rid of everything that's not helping you run your race. He told us in the, the first part of this passage, lay aside every weight and lay aside every sin that easily entangles you. Whatever those things are, God is calling all of us today to root them out of our lives or He will root them out for us. And maybe you haven't received God's discipline in your life. And this is what He says in Hebrews 11.8. Maybe you're living for yourself, that's all you've ever lived for yourself, and you're not experiencing discipline from God because you don't belong to Him. And Hebrews 11.8 says, If you're left without discipline, in which all, all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. So the thing is, if you're living like the world, and you are the world, and you're not receiving discipline from God, then God's saying, you can call yourself mine, but you're not mine. You're not mine, but you can be. You can be His today. You can be. Romans 10.13 says, Whosoever or everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can come down this altar today and you could say, you can look at yourself in light of who God is and you can say, right, that you are a sinner because you know you are. You can confess your sin before the Lord. You can believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins on a on that cross and he was raised three days later and you can repent of your sin turn away from your sin forsake your sin and he he says you shall be saved amen all right let me pray for us lord god i just thank you lord for your word and and lord and i know that it's hard to thank you for a discipline that feels so bad and hurts and, and it's not pleasant but i just pray god for all of us in this room today that that know you, Lord, that we tr that truly know you, that when your discipline comes into our life, the very first thing that we will think about, or the very first question we will ask is, is, did I invite this discipline into my life? And if the answer to that is yes, help us, Lord, confess it and forsake it at a time. And God, and if the answer to that question is no, and we're in a very painful part of your discipline, God, 
I pray that you just remind us, Lord, we'd be reminded that that is the evidence that you love us and that we're a member of your family, that when we take our last breath in this world, that we're going to go home and we're going to be with you forever and ever and things that we can't even comprehend or put our mind around of how things are, how, how, how heaven is going to be like. So help us, Lord, accomplish our purpose of life, and that's to help us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that all of us in this room that know you, that we'd be sensitive to sin in our lives. We would know the things in our lives that are an offense to you. And, when, and also, God, we'd all know that, uh, that you're not going to let us blaspheme your name amongst the people that we're supposed to be reaching. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you need to come do uh, business with God, the altars are open. Oh